The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Pastor Alia on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Joshua Gantra. I'm joined today by my guest, Father Stephen McKenna. Welcome back, Father. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Before we get started, Father, to do the kindness of leading us in a prayer. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All you holy guardian angels, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you, Father. Father, today we're going to be broaching the issue of um, a sacrament, which is probably the, I'd I'd estimate, probably the uh, most in, in people's minds of what sacraments are and, and what they do, probably the most obscure and probably the most feared. Uh, in fact, I was on my uh, way to meet you, and I, I mentioned to someone we were going to be recording a show, and I mentioned the topic. And uh, when I had said the show was going to be on extreme unction and, and last rites, uh, the response was, oh. And I think that <laughs> we, we really do get the sense that this is something that kind of scares people. I mean, that baptism is... Um, is is usually tempered by the celebration of uh, the birth of a child, uh, not always, but 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 often. Holy matrimony. There's a wedding, um, but the things that attend extreme unction are, are usually of a sort that, that people kind of fear it. And I've often wondered when uh, you know when, when when a priest is called on to uh, to give the sacrament, uh, what the experience is like, not just for the person who's receiving it, uh, but but for, but for the priest priest himself. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny that I find that extreme unction is oftentimes really misunderstood or, like you said, sometimes feared because of the fact that it is dealing with something that is beyond our control, which is our, our own mortality, our own death. And it's something that is, you know, nobody comes back from the grave to tell us what it, what it you know, exactly happens. We know by our faith that, that, uh, that we can save our souls and go to heaven, but we also know the, the possibility of, of losing our souls if we haven't lived our, our lives correctly. And, and so that is, is there before us as, a, a, as an awe-inspiring moment, that, that death of ourselves, something we all know we will have to, to deal with, but something at the same time uh, that is truly beyond our control, and, and in that way sometimes is, is scary to, to folks. But um, extreme unction is a wonderful, wonderful sacrament, and that's what we have to remember. That is there to to help us in those times of of, 
of danger, of death. That it's there to assist us and to remind us of how wonderful a mother the church is to us, how much she takes care of, of her faithful in that way. Because she, she takes care of us in birth by our baptism. She takes care of us in life by, by the, the sacraments of, of penance and, and Holy Eucharist. And, uh, and she takes care of us in our times of, of, of sickness and death with the sacraments as well, uh, that she, from, from cradle to grave, she never lets us fall away uh, from, from the opportunities of grace. And, and so that's what extreme action is there for. That's what uh, that opportunity is there for. And as priests, you know, we, we look forward, uh, not in a way of anxiousness, like, ooh, I can't wait till someone gets sick today, but, uh, but we do look forward to those opportunities to do that from a grace standpoint, anytime we can give sacraments or give grace, uh, that is what our calling is. That's what we were ordained for, is, is for those very sacraments. And we have to be ready at a moment's notice. At a, um, uh, I remember a priest one time telling me, or not one time, but many times telling me, uh, you plan out your day the best you can, and then one phone call changes everything. And it's true, that's our lives. One phone call changes it all, and when it comes to sacraments, um, it, it really is what we're here for, and we have to be ready from as soon as the the oil is placed on our hands for any opportunity for sacraments. Actually, if I, if I may tell you uh, my the experience of, of my first extreme unction. First time you got the call. Yeah, the first time getting the call. And, and of course, I was n- nervous because, you know, it was my first time administering the sacrament. But at the same time, it, mine is, is, is somewhat, uh, I wouldn't say unique, because I'm sure there's other priests that have had similar situations, but, it, but at least rare anyways, is that I was ordained on a Saturday, uh, February the 11th, then the twelfth was my my first mass, which was a Sunday that year, and I was driving the clergy back to the airport. I was in Massachusetts at the time, and I was driving the clergy back to the airport that had come in for the for the ceremony. And the last priest to go to the airport was Bishop Dolan, who ordained me, and and Father McGuire. And I dropped them off at Logan Airport in Boston, drive back to the the church that I was uh, helping out at that time, and. Uh, I walked in. I hadn't even taken my coat off yet, and the phone rang, and a parishioner called, saying that her father, who was also a parishioner, had taken a turn for the worst and needed extreme unction. And so, off I went to get my oils, and right back out the door again, without even having to take my my jacket off, my overcoat off, and uh, and so that was my first extreme unction. Uh, the day after my ordination, the first, the first possible moment to actually be, be a priest alone at the church uh, without any other priests around was uh, the moment that I was called out to, to perform a, my first extreme unction. And uh, when I had told Father McGuire about it afterwards, uh, I had sent him a text message explaining what, what had happened. And he sent uh, a simple reply. Just welcome to the priesthood, and that was, and it summed up everything about that uh, experience. Is truly welcome to the priesthood. That is what we are here for, Father. It's it misunderstood. It's 
confusing for people. It's not a little bit scary for, for a lot of people. I know it's, it's often said that we, we tend to fear what we don't understand. Um, in order that we can not only give people a clear idea of the sacrament as something not to be feared, but just more basically to give people an idea of what the sacrament does and what it is. Walk us through what extreme unction is and the types of effects that it, it, it has on, on person, both in, both in terms of body and soul. All right, certainly. Um, extreme unction is a sacrament that is given to those who are in the danger of death and that is meant for several effects upon them. Uh, as all sacraments, it was instituted by our Lord and it was given uh, to the church to continue on for the sake of the faithful. Uh, we can see that in Scripture, in the, the book of St. James, the Epistle of St. James, uh, chapter 5, verse 14, where he says, Is any man sick among you? Let him call on the priests of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And so that that very scripture verse is actually found in the, in the rite of extreme unction. It's, it's mentioned in, in there, pointing to where it comes from. And the effects of it on a, soul, on a person, on a soul, are, are several. The, the primary effect is that there's an increase of sanctifying grace. That's uh, the primary effect of it, that it takes the sanctifying grace and, and, and builds upon it to make it stronger and brighter and, and so that we can have uh, a, a, be more pleasing in the eyes of our Lord than we already are. But the uh, but the, the secondary effects with it are, are very great in, indeed as well. That if so we say that it increases sanctifying grace, but it should also be noted that uh, that it is there also for the forgiveness of sins as well. That uh, any venial sins are forgiven by that uh, that that sacrament, and uh, but also that if someone happens to be unfortunately outside of the state of grace, that uh, that it can be restored. Unto them now. Typically, you would, if someone is conscious and aware of what is going on and able to, then they would make a good confession before extreme unction. That way, they can receive the sacrament in the state of grace as they as they should, as the is the most uh, the most the, the, the normal way of, of receiving it. But if they happen to not be in a state of grace and they're for whatever reason unable to make a, a normal confession, if they're able to either be contrite for their sins interiorly or are typically one that habitually would be contrite for their sins and happens to be unconscious or unable to respond or whatever it may be, then uh, the, they, the sacrament of extreme unction can actually restore sanctifying grace to such a person uh, in those situations. Now, if they were to recover consciousness or the ability to make a confession, then they still are bound to 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 confess those those uh, mortal sins. But in the, the case of un, being unable to be able to do so, uh, it can restore sanctifying grace to them. Also. Secondary effects would be the fortification, the graces for fortification and strength during their time of illness. Now, we need to suffer well and to suffer well for our, our Lord and to and to uh, not uh, 
to not complain in, uh, as much as um, we might be able, uh, be tempted to, or to off, be able to offer up sacrifices and sufferings for our Lord, then we, you know, we need grace to be able to act in such a heroic way. And extreme unction will help by giving us those graces, and also gives us the graces if if we are to die to to make a, a good death, to be well sp- uh, disposed spiritually, and or. If it's God's will and it's for the betterment of our soul, then uh, that we actually are to have physical healing, then it can also aid in that way to produce uh, a physical healing in people. Though, you know, that is not um, one of the guarantees of extreme unction. Of course, many people are anointed and, and do die. That's what, that's our the end for all of us, but at the same time, if it's better for their soul that they survive, then the, the extreme unction will facilitate that as well. Father, we, I think there's a, there's a common parlance in, 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 in really, in, in, in trad communities all over, where we'll refer to extreme unction by, kind of a byword, by the last rites, mm-hmm. and as though they were, they were perfectly interchangeable. Um, I, I know that there are uh, a number of things that happen when a priest is called to uh, the bedside of, of someone who's sick or someone who, who, who might be expected to die. Um, is there a difference between extreme unction and last rites? Uh, absolutely. Actually, uh, extreme unction is, is actually something that would make up only a part of what the last rites are. The, the last rites can... Uh, are consisted of several different things. First is confession. Secondly is holy viaticum, which is uh, communion, the last communion of the um, of the recipient, uh, the extreme unction, uh, and the apostolic blessing, which imparts a plenary indulgence, which takes place at the moment of death, actually, and also reading and saying prayers for the dying. All those go into constituting what is known as the last rites. Uh, so the la- that's why it's that's actually plural, because there's many things that go into those rites, whereas extreme unction is just one piece of that. It is a very important piece, uh, and the piece that people most recognize as being part of it. But they don't always have to go hand in hand. We don't have to give all the last rites when we give extreme unction, and sometimes we don't. If someone has a danger of death, uh, but is not knocking on death's door at that moment, well, we're not going to give them the adequum. We might give them communion, but not in the form of the adequum with the special prayers that go along with it. And we might not give them apostolic blessing right away if they're not, like I said, knocking on, on death's door there. Uh, we, uh, you know, it's it's something in that way. And we're certainly not going to say the prayers for the dying if they're not dying right now actively right then and there. So it's uh, it's extreme unction is is a is a very integral part to, to the last rites, but it's not uh, last rites in its entirety. Question for you, Father. We were talking a moment ago about someone who uh, is habitually uh, repentant for his sins, mm-hmm. uh, maybe unconscious. You had mentioned that it's possible for that person to have his mortal sins forgiven and be returned to the state of grace, even if he's unconscious. Mm-hmm. Is it ever, I mean, is communion ever given to somebody who's unconscious? No, communion would never be given to anybody unconscious or anybody that, uh, where there'd be 
see communion would be something that we'd have to give only to to someone that is act, actually able to understand what they're receiving and to be able to to swallow and and receive it uh that was you know there's the there sometimes it, it's just impossible if someone has um swallowing the throat that makes it impossible to swallow or uh, are given into bouts of, of, of vomiting or something like that, they still might even be conscious and know what's going on around them, but they can't receive because of the danger to the Blessed Sacrament. Or, you know, if someone has lost their mental faculties, they don't know what the Blessed Sacrament is, then, you know, there they're, they're might be uh, cause to, to abuse towards that in, in some way, and uh, we have to always be careful around those things or, uh, or like I said, if they're unconscious, there's just no way to have them swallow it. And, you know, it's the, the blessed sacrament is, is uh, important in no way trying to downplay that sacrament. Uh, of course it's our Lord, but it's, but at the same time, it's there to, to, to strengthen us in our way towards, towards eternity. But once again, uh, not, that last reception right there is not necessary. We've made good receptions before, hopefully, and uh, and we rely on those, and we make a good. If we find ourselves, or if we were to ever be in that situation, we make a good spiritual communion in that way. There are many saints that have been in that position before, where they, uh, you know, it's it's actually a little penance for them that they sincerely desire to receive the Blessed Sacrament, but are unable to because. Of the fact that um, that they can't swallow, or, or um, I believe Saint Therese of Lisieux was one of, was one of them that she was any, unable to swallow, and also um, you know coughing up so much fluid that uh, it was impossible for her to receive um, uh, the, the Blessed Sacrament uh, before her as Vatican before her death. So, what about what about uh, the Sacrament of Penance? Father, I mean, somebody is. Uh whether somebody has, has actually made his confession and then falls unconscious or mm-hmm. as you get there, I mean, you pointed out that, that extreme unction will, will uh, remit the punishment for even uh, even mortal sin, but mm-hmm. what, is it ever possible to give someone absolution while the person's unconscious? It is. Um, that is something that we can try to uh, as, as medical doctors will often tell you that that hearing is the, usually the last of the, of the of the senses and faculties to go in a person, and so we will we will talk to the people if they're unconscious and, and try to invoke in them uh, trust in our Lord and, and and hope of salvation and also thoughts of of pen, of, um, of sorrow for sin, and then give them a general absolution uh, in that way. Uh, it's once again in as is the case with extreme unction so with the general absolution that if they were to regain consciousness and uh, they would still be bound to confess those mortal sins there's no substitute uh, for uh, the, the the need of confession but in, uh, in those situations you know our lord is not uh, our lord is not up there with lightning bolts trying to strike us down he wants us to get to heaven he desires us to be with him forever and he knows our hearts and he wants and he's willing to to help us in those ways so walk us walk us through it father you get the call you haven't taken off your coat you run out the door you speed to the hospital mm-hmm. do you speed or do you follow the uh the speed uh, is this, you know, if you got pulled over, you have a good reason. <laughs> yes, it depends on the, the situation. If someone um, 
you know, if someone finds out that they're, uh, if that they're, that they have cancer and that they're dying, then, you know, I either drive there at a normal speed or, or wait till the next opportunity. Sometimes people will get the, those, 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 the recognition that they are in danger of death and there's no urgent rush. And so we, you know, set up appointment and time and opportunity, um, for that. Um, but, uh, in fact, you know, sometimes we do it in the church because the most, the most proper place and, uh, the, the, to give extreme unction is actually in front of the blessed sacrament. But, um, but more often than not, we're not able to do that, but sometimes we are. But, uh, but if someone were really in their last throes before death, then, then no cop in his right mind is going to give a ticket in a situation such as that and uh they would uh and at the same time i'm not going to rush off like a maniac endangering myself or others sure. but um but you know i might not pay as close attention to the speedometer as as i normally might so uh, hypothetically of course yes so we've, we've, we're in the car we're we're going at a uh, at a proportional pace <laughs> and we get to the the hospital let's say um you go into the room somebody needs extreme unction what what break break it down into parts? What do we need for the sacrament? All right. Well, the most important thing for the sacrament is the oil of the sick. That's oil is blessed especially by the bishop on Holy Thursday, and there is no substitute really for it. You have to have that oil, and all priests should. You know, there should be no worries in a priest having oils. Uh, they're made every single year on Holy Thursday, and uh, I know that we've done it here, and uh, now Bishop Sanborn does it down in Florida to, to make those oils, and they get sent out to everybody on our list. And I know that, uh, that other bishops make it, like Bishop Piperunas will make those oils, and he has people on his list, and he'll send it out. And so the, the bishops send out the, those oils uh, to the priests as they need them, uh, and they receive usually what is more than enough to get them through a year, and uh, so you have those those oils, and so that's the most important thing. That and a ritual; those two are the most important things to have with you. Now, a typical setup with that is uh, also going to include a table with a white cloth on it, uh, uh, a crucifix, and two candles. Uh, provided that the person is not on oxygen or something, or there's a danger of lighting candles, we'd still have the candles, but we'd leave them unlit in a situation like that. But then we would have the oils, we'd have um, the ritual with the, the extreme unction, and we'd have something to purify. We'd have cotton balls um, to wipe the oil from the person and also from our fingers afterwards, along with um, something to to cut the oils on our fingers because. Oil doesn't just come off very nicely. Uh, it uh, it is uh, it takes a little bit of of help. And you know, one way is is lemon and bread slices that helps cut oil. But what we found to be more practical for ourselves is um, is actually alcohol wipes because they they travel a lot easier. The you kind know, you use for t- when you get an injection. You're right, exactly. And so uh, we we find that they travel a lot easier. You don't have to worry about them drying out like a lemon does. 
and it's much easier to burn and dispose of them than uh, than a lemon or in bread and things like that. It is a lot less maintenance um, to to carry those things. They're just very very convenient, and they do the same job. So and they have them at the hospital. And they have them at the hospital, which is a bonus. So if you happen to forget them, then you know you can get cotton and 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 alcohol swabs very easily at a hospital. But those are our, essentially our uh, our main things to bring with us. Um, to that to that person. Now, the uh, the the minister of of extreme unction has to be a priest, a validly ordained priest. Nobody else is able to confer that sacrament, uh, and he has to have those blessed oils, and he has to follow the ritual in which there are prayers along with anointings that go upon the person. And what is the normal way of doing it is actually the anointing of the senses, the different senses. So um, the, we'll anoint the ears, the nose, the mouth, the, ha- the hands, and the feet, because those are typical ways in which a, a person commits sins. And so because uh, extreme unction is for the remission of sins in the sense of sanctifying grace, we know that these are the, the many of the chief ways that we commit sin, and so that they are anointed in that in that way. Um, when we anoint, we we take the the oil on our thumb, and we go to whatever um, part of the body that we're anointing, and we say the prayer. So, say if we were saying. The, the if we were doing the ears, we would do it on the earlobe, for instance, and we take our thumb with the oil, and in Latin we would say, through this holy anointing, and through His tender mercy, may God, the Lord forgive thee whatever sins thou hast committed by the sense of hearing. Amen. And while we're saying that, we would make a sign of the cross with our right thumb on first the the right ear, and then on the left ear, and then we would take cotton. And, and wipe those, and then we move on to the next thing, which was the nose on each nostril, and um, and so and so the, the the priest goes through um, all of those. Now, if there's a case of a real emergency, uh, I remember one time having to do a, an anointing um, while running alongside um, a, a a stretcher, someone that was going in for emergency surgery to, you know, life-saving emergency procedure and only having enough time while running alongside of the, the stretcher in the hospital to give them just a simple, there's a, there's a simple convent, condensed version of it, which is one anointing and without all of the, the other prayers that are said on either side of the anointing. It's just a simple anointing in which you anoint the forehead uh, to basically cover all of the, the senses, and in those cases, you—if the person survives, like this person did—then you have to go back and and do it, the rest of the senses after the fact and the rest of the prayers. But if they don't, at least you—it suffices in those type of situations for an emergency anointing. But typically, it's done with with all of the the senses uh, in that way. Father, you mentioned that there's the time when the sacrament of extreme unction would be given would be at a time where you're in danger of death. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, everybody in his various professions has has a, what we call a term of art, and uh, you know it, it might mean one thing to one pe- you know it might mean one thing to to doctors, it might mean one thing to to a judge, it might mean something else to a priest. When we're talking about danger of death, which justifies having receiving the sacrament, or you coming to give it, what what do we mean exactly? Def- give us an idea of, of I mean. If, if there is a danger of death, we should know when it when it when it occurs. That's a that's a very very good point because I think this is an area where people oftentimes really do get confused as to what is uh, the danger of death. Danger of death is any type. What is danger of death for extreme unction is any type of internal ailments which there is some level of likelihood of, of possibly dying from. So, for instance, a person has lung cancer. There's a danger of death in having lung cancer. It's not that you're absolutely going to die by lung cancer, but it's possible people do die from lung cancer. So you find out you have lung cancer, you are able to call us, to come and give you extreme unction. If, if you have uh, a... But, however, it, it does not include... Um, so that cancer is just one. There's many different ailments. Heart failure, you know, congestive heart failure, or uh, your, your kidney is failing and you're going in for a transplant, or some, anything along those lines where there's, a, there's an ailment unto yourself that may possibly be dangerous to your life, uh, then we would come in and give extreme unction. Now, the two extremes which uh, the people don't realize is in that definition is, one is any light thing is not necessarily a danger of death. Just because I have a head cold does not justify me, and because there might have been one case somewhere off in Uganda or something where someone died of, of the sniffles, does not mean that I'm actually in a danger, a real danger of death. If my sniffles turn into something more grave, then, then yes, but, uh, you know, but if I just have the sniffles, then, then no. Uh, so there's the, the overestimating of the, the danger of death. And then there's the realization that external dangers of death do not count for administration of extreme unction. And, you know, and these things are important because actual having a danger of death is necessary for the validity of the sacrament. So what I mean by external danger of death, for instance, if someone is on death row and they're awaiting their execution, they're going to die. They're, they're there. They're, it's the day of their. Of the, the day has come where they're going to get the injection or the or the chair or whatever it may be, and they're going to die. That's an external danger to death, not an internal danger to death. And so, I cannot give extreme unction in that situation. I can hear the confession. I can give them communion. I can do all these things, counsel them, and, and help them all the way up to their last seconds but it's not an actual internal ailment ailment or danger of death or if I'm going to war and off to battle I cannot give extreme unction to someone just because they're going off into battle I can give them extreme unction when they fall and that's why you see so many pictures 
and that's why it was so important for chaplains to be in the military. Uh, if you watch documentaries in World War II, for, for instance, you will oftentimes see priests in the sick bay b- beside the stretchers giving extreme unction to so many of the soldiers or even risking their own lives running out onto the battlefield to be able to, to give the sacraments to the wounded because that was when they could give those sacraments. It was only now that they've been wounded, now there's a, 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 an interior danger to, to their life. But the very fact that they were going into battle was not sufficient for extreme unction. So you could, you could anoint the soldier when he comes back injured, but you couldn't anoint him if he knew he was likely to be shot going out. Correct. Okay. Because you wouldn't have the, the matter for the sacrament. Right. Okay. So in, in terms of, of, of the practical order, Father, we, you know, there are people who, uh, the wind changes direction and all of a sudden there's concern that uh, there's danger of death. And then there are the people who, who suffer from the opposite extreme, you know, that the man has fallen unconscious, his pulse is getting weak. Um, there's a nurse with her hand uh, on the man's wrist, shaking her head, oh, no, 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 this is the end. And uh, the people sit around the room and they say, it's not time. That is the quintessential head-scratcher for priests, if you will, in regards to the sacrament, is the one or the other. But more often than not, it is what you just mentioned, uh, the, the, the waiting until the very last moments of someone's life or, uh, or sometimes not getting a priest there in time uh, that is one of the saddest things to see for us, really. It's, and it goes against what the sacrament is. We have to remember that truly the sacrament is a sacrament for the living. Uh, it does no good to us if someone dies uh, and we get you know, then you call us. It's it's for the living. It's for them to have the graces, in order to 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 help them through these times of of need and of danger of their lives. And and they're there for you. They're there for you. Taking there, there for you. For those graces are waiting for you. God wants to give them to us, and we. But we have to ask for them. We have to get them. And people think that oftentimes that extreme unction is something that is only for those last moments of the life. You know, there's a, there's a, the, the Italians are, are, are infamous for that. They, they think that, that if, if Father comes, death is not far behind him. You know, they think that we bring the angel of death alongside. He rides shotgun with us almost. And, you know, you give me five minutes, angel of death, and then you can come in and do your job after I'm done. That's not how it works. That's, uh, we don't, we, we don't want it to be that last moment because we don't know when that last moment is. Nobody does except for, for God. And sometimes you see people who will labor under what you think is going to be their last breaths for hours and hours at a time. And other times you see them and they're talking to you and then you turn around to grab something out of your bag and you turn back and they've passed away. We don't know, even when we know that they're sick and in their, their last days, we don't know really when that last breath is going to come. And so we, we always want to make sure that once we know the presence of a danger of death, we should call upon that priest. And if we have a question as to danger of death, we have some sort, we're told we have some sort of illness and we don't know what that is to do, you know, is it danger of death? Is it not? You know, am I going to uh, be able to handle this well? Am I not? 
But don't forget what they call us. <laughs> Everybody calls us Father. Let that be for a reason. Let us act as a Father unto you. Let us let us help you in these matters, counsel you. You know, let us make the decision. Is this something where we would anoint, or is this something where you're just sick and you'll be fine? But um, we don't need to give you an anointing. We'll bring you. Communion, say, or you know, hear your confession, whatever, to you know, say some prayers and give you a blessing of the sick. Those things, you know, we we are are, are able to make those those decisions based on what we've learned, what we've been trained for. But at the same time, it's our pleasure to be able to help you in that situation, and not only in deciding whether to receive this sacrament, but also in all the other things that, that are necessary for your spiritual gain during that time. Because any time we're sick is, is going to be a trial. And yes, if it's the sniffles, I mean, then we all know that we will get past the sniffles, it'll be fine. But if it's something more than that, then we need to, we need to never think to ourselves, oh, I don't want to bother Father, or I'm not sick enough yet. Uh, you know, if you have the thought that you're bothering Father, you're not thinking of the sacrament correctly. Let me ask you this, Father. You've been out on the mission trail. You're up in North Dakota. You've gone for two and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. You've missed flights. You've had to rent cars. The cars have broken down on the side of the road. You had to walk. You had to take a cart that was full of hay just to get to the nearest village to use the phone to get the tow truck to get back to the church. And you show up, and it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and you are more exhausted than you've ever been, and you just hit your pillow for giving us permission to call you right then. If you are in, in truly in danger of dying, then then yes. Okay. You know that's if you uh, if you need me, then call me. That is when we say truly, a priest does not have hours. Uh, the sacraments and the salvation of souls are greater than anything out there, and every single one of us that uh, is a priest that is worth his salt and that has been at it for more than six months can tell you of a time where they've uh, had to wake up in the middle of the night or they've had to drop everything that they're doing and and go. And that's what we're here for. Bishop Dole one time said it in a way that was, put it more in perspective for me. He said, that's what we live for. And it's so true. That's what we live for because at that moment, we have the opportunity more than any other time to help someone increase their chances of getting to heaven. You know, we have a chance to save a soul in that moment. And no matter what time that is, um, we need to, we need to go. We need to, we need to do that. And that's all the the tiredness aside, you know, you can, you're running out the door to go on an extreme function you can stop by, take two seconds, stop by a gas station and pick up five-hour energy to open up your eyes back up again. But no amount of stopping at a gas station, no magic potion is going to revive life into someone who passes away. And so I can't miss that that opportunity. I, I have to be ready for it. And, and it's true. That is what we live for, uh, is, is those, those opportunities when they come. And so... 
Now, if that was the situation and there was other priests around, you know, a priest may send you an alternate priest if he was the one that, you know, was hadn't slept in a couple of days because of, of, of lots of travels and things. And there's a and there's a fresh one on the side, if you will, like here at St. Gertrude's where we have the opportunity of, of you know, several priests, then you might get a different priest than you call for. But more often than not, uh, then we, more often than not, it's going to be us and, and we're always ready for that. And that's perfectly fine. So, no, it's... Um, it's it, it's don't um, like I said. Don't ever think that you're bothering Father or that he's too busy when it comes to a matter of uh, of the necessity of extreme unction. Father, let's stop for a second. I want to tell our listeners and remind them that you're listening to Pastoralia on the Restoration Radio Network. We'd also like to remind you that if you'd like full access to all of the Restoration Radio episodes, perhaps you've just. Uh, purchase this one episode, a topic you were interested in, uh, visit restorationradionetwork.com and go to the member area. And there you'll find out details on how to become a member. So you can buy another episode. You can, you can join us for, uh, for the long haul. Father, the sacraments, some of them can be repeated. Somebody could be married and then the spouse dies and then could contract a new marriage. Um, somebody can go receive the sacrament of penance again. Somebody's in the hospital again. We know that you can't repeat baptism. We know you can't re- repeat confirmation. You can only receive holy orders once. Um, but walk us through the repetition of this because there are times where we hear people being anointed multiple times. What's, what's the cutoff? What are the rules for uh, how you receive the sacrament again? Under what circumstances are we talking about? Well, it's true. There is no limit to extreme unction, uh, the amount of times you can receive extreme unction. However, there is a limit to how many times you can receive them in a moment of danger of death. So, for instance, if I end up falling ill with malaria and I receive extreme unction, then I recover from malaria, and then a year from now... I contract lung cancer, I can receive extreme unction again because it's actually a new danger of death. My, I was, my life was in danger of, of failing. I recovered, and now I'm in danger again. But I cannot receive it more than once in that time of danger of death. So I have malaria, I receive extreme unction, the next week when the priest comes and visits me to bring me communion again, he cannot give me extreme unction again. It's, it's done once, and it covers for that the entire dur- duration of that danger of death. And people oftentimes don't realize that. And, and the priest, you know, we feel bad when they, because they ask us in all sincerity and all piety to, to can I receive extreme unction again father and we have to tell them no and explain to them it's you're you're all set those those graces from extreme unction that you already have received are still working in you because you've already uh, you're still in that same danger of of death there and so uh it's only when the danger of death is is new that you're still in that same danger of of death there and so uh, it's only when the danger of death is is new 
that the priest can can repeat this happen. Now, if there's a situation where it's a uh, it's doubtful, then we can give it in you know what we call conditionally. We can give it uh, under the condition that if they are in capable of receiving it again, then they they will. And that sometimes is a good comfort to souls as they, you know, that oftentimes may happen in the case where, say, someone, uh, say I had some sort of illness uh, like, well, let's use malaria again as an example. So I have malaria, I'm very sick, I receive extreme unction, I seemingly get better, and then I fall ill again with malaria. Uh, within, you know, I get better for, say, two weeks, and then I fall ill again, or, or, you know, know, and now it's been several months since my last anointing. Uh, There's, I I should say, probably like six months. So there's, you know, know, I had malaria, anointed, get better, and then it's like six months later, I seemingly get sick again with malaria. Then there's reason enough to believe that perhaps it's a different case of malaria, or there's uh, perhaps it's a new danger of death that you had come out of the danger and then now you're back into it again, even though it's a, it might still be the same illness uh, that you see that sometimes in the case of people with cancer or something that they receive treatment for cancer, they seem to go into remission and it comes back, then it's still the same cancer, but it's uh, you know it's a new danger that has appeared after rec- or recovery. And so then we would, uh, in, in some of those cases where we have a doubt, where it might, whether or not someone is actually in a new case of, of danger of death or not, then we would give it conditionally. But typically speaking, if it's um, if it's the same danger of death, then then we we cannot give it a second time in that same danger. Uh, it has to be a new situation, and seen as you know, we could be very sickly people and have a good track record of recovery. We could seemingly, you know, receive extreme unction twenty times or something because we might get sick and recover again and again and again. So, so just a change of fact pattern, Father. You you see a man who just got a car, there was a car accident. You get out of the car. The man is standing on the side of the road, bloody, battered. He knows what's going on, but he's really injured. You stop. You have your oils with you. You, you, know, you find out the man is a Catholic. You anoint him, and he's so glad for you to be here that he wanders out a little bit beyond the yellow line, and he gets hit by another car. Mm-hmm. And now he's suffering. He's got two broken legs, and he's bleeding badly. Can you anoint him again right away? There's no... No. no. Okay. No, because he still hasn't exited that first danger of death, and really he's... You know, there's no, there's no new cause of danger of death there. Um, even if it's, uh, say, if I had, even if it's two different illnesses mm-hmm. that coincide together, uh, then I still wouldn't be able to, as long as, so, say, if I contracted malaria, the priest comes and anoints me, and then while I'm sick with malaria, I also contract pneumonia mm-hmm. in the same at the same time. Well, just because. I have a new thing that's also threatening my life hasn't really created a new danger of death. I've never left the danger of death. I'm still in danger of dying. Uh, and so now I, I just happen to have a new illness that goes along with it, that there's two possible ways that it might go, but it still covers for both. 
Uh, and so if it's only when there's some uh, sort of recovery involved in there. Father, what happens if, you know, there's plenty of situations, I mean, with, with so few valid priests in the world today, you have a, a traditional Catholic who's living in a, in a cabin in the middle of nowhere, um, you might be a 10-hour drive from the nearest nearest chapel, he, he, might, he might find himself only getting down there you know, a couple of times a year. How important is the sacrament? Can he still save his soul in a situation like that when, when a priest isn't, isn't available? Absolutely. Uh, strictly speaking, extreme unction is not necessary for the one's salvation. And there are even saints that have saved their souls without being able to receive extreme unction. But uh, that being said, uh, we should never underestimate the importance of extreme unction at the same time. So if you happen to be one of those uh, people who are not located close to uh, a traditional chapel and you, you or someone you know finds themselves in a situation where they're, they're in danger of dying, then you shouldn't despair at all of, of God's mercy in your, uh, you know, in your salvation. You should uh, you have as much confidence and trust in him as the person who has all the sacraments, really, because, because God loves each one of us and wants us, like I said, to save our souls. And if we want to save our souls, uh, you know, we have, the way, we have the ways of doing that. Um, but that being said, don't let your distance away from a priest scare you away from calling him uh, as anybody who is familiar with the the inner workings of our schedules and our uh, our doings know that we we travel far and wide all the time because there are so few of us for for sacraments and we might not be able to make it out right away but if there is a way to get to you then we will do our best to get there uh, as soon as possible, uh, depending on how sick someone is or, or whatever it may be. Uh, but if uh, if there's no way possible to get a priest in, as sometimes is the case, then we should never despair of, of God's mercy in that way. However, I want to make a distinction between the ones who legitimately cannot get a priest and the ones who put off getting a priest. Because if we are able to get a priest and we don't do so we are in a way being neglectful to ourselves because God it's you know he's given us these opportunities for grace and we should take them it's it's our lifeline you know for salvation if you will it's there to you know to, to strengthen us it's it's like looking out over a great precipice and seeing a very sturdy, you know, bridge where there's plenty of traffic going over and it's a modern bridge and you think, okay, that's a really safe way to get across the ravine. And then seeing the, the 1902, you know, expedition wobbly footbridge that's made out of planks and rope and things that hasn't been cared for in 50 years. Is it possible to make it across the ravine on the footbridge? Yes, it's it's possible and and, and can be done. But uh, and if if we were being chased by a pack of wolves and that was the only thing there, then we would take the footbridge. But if if we have that sturdy bridge that's there, which is 
the sacraments, the, the road that is, that, is, that is safest for us to take, then we'd be foolish not to, to take the safer road in that, in that way, to, to cross where is most, most sturdy. And that's, and that's the way it is in our sacramental life. It's, if we have the means to receive the sacraments, then we should make use of them because that's what they're there for. We, you, you only have one opportunity to die, you know, and that's, um, you don't know when that's going to be. You don't know how it's going to be necessarily, but you will have the opportunity at some point. And if you have access to those sacraments, there's no more important part. There's no more important moment in your life than making a good death. And, um, and to prepare ourselves for that when we have danger of death is the most important thing we can do for ourselves. So we don't want to be neglectful of ourselves. And I, I have to mention too that if we don't receive the sacrament out of contempt for the sacrament, that we don't, you know, that we just cast it off as not important and, uh, uh, but in, in a contemptual way, like, uh, uh, that we have disdain for it. We, you know, I say, uh, we, we don't think it is, is going to merit us in some way, or we are so neglectful and it causes scandals, to, scandal to others around us. We have to remember that we could be sinning gravely by neglecting it in those those situations, um, and that's also a, a serious sin for someone who has access to the sacraments and has moral sin on their soul to to not make use of those sacraments to get that moral sin removed. We shouldn't assume that we can make a good act of contri- a perfect act of contrition. We shouldn't assume that uh, that God is understands and and will forgive us no we have the means of of having our sins forgiven and we should take advantage of that so those things have to be mentioned along with it but for the person who is truly away from easy access to sacraments if they find themselves where they're unable to get a priest uh, then you know do not do not fear because god certainly will take care of you with the graces that you that you need to, to save your soul, Father. There were a couple of things that had, uh, had come to mind, which I just want to roll us back for a second. You mentioned that the the um, that you're you're using the oil of the sick uh, mm-hmm. for the sacrament, and that it's blessed on Holy Thursday by the bishop. What is the what is the oil? What kind of oil is it? It's made from olive oil. That's uh, extra virgin olive oil. Is is uh, is all that it is, um, but it is just uh, the. As long as it's extra virgin olive oil, it's perfectly fine. Um, it's, but it has to be. The, the the key part of it is that it's blessed by, um, by the bishop in that way. Right? And it has to be. It has to be olive oil. It can't be from some other plant either. You know, that's uh, that's a. Uh, you know, that's actually one of the changes that they made with the Novus Ordo that people don't realize. Not only did they change the Episcopal consecration, which means that we. The new bishops aren't bishops, but uh, but also they changed the blessing of the oils, and they now allow for different various types of oil to be used, whether it be palm oil or vegetable oil or synthetic oil or you know uh, to, you know motor oil, whatever <laughs> whatever they they feel that they want to use, they can use, and so even if they had valid bishops, oftentimes they're still unable. To confer that right onto the oils to be used. I'm led to understand that the uh, in the English there's no specification for the type of oil, but actually if you look at the Greek, 
the, the word that's used refers specifically to, to all of them. Mm-hmm. So, and it's never, ever been uh, a practice of the church to use it otherwise. It's been, you, you know, all across the board, it's always been understood as, as olive oil from the time of Christ until, until now. So we've got the oil stocks, we have you, we should be properly disposed. One thing, the other thing I wanted to ask about was, uh, in terms of anointing on the hand, I mean, uh, like where on the hand are you anointing? Okay. Well, the earlobe's a pretty small place. Yes. Uh, the nose, depending on the person, uh, can be a larger or smaller place. But the hands are, are, are fairly large. I mean, where? Well, I think you have astutely stumbled upon or, or hinted upon the the uh, a difference between the anointing of a lay person and the anointing of of a priest. Uh, the anointing of a lay person takes place on the palm of their hands uh, that uh, they are anointed upon and that uh, but if it's for a priest it actually takes place on the back of the hands because the front of their hands have been anointed uh, during their ordination so uh, it's you know this one of the that is actually a difference um, between the, the the anointing of of, of priests and the anointing of, of laity, uh, it's not often that uh, you see the anointing of a priest, but the priests are unable to anoint themselves. And so, we just like anybody else, when we meet the end of our days, we need a, another priest to come in and, and anoint us. And, and that's the one difference between the two is that our hands are anointed in a different spot. One last question, Father. In terms of how old you have to be, uh, is there the, what is the minimum requirements for the, for the reception of the sacrament? Yes. So a person receiving extreme unction, the minimum requirements are this, that they have to be a baptized person. They have to be baptized, and they have to uh, as well have attained the, the use of reason, that meaning that they have to be able to actually commit sin. There's no reason to... Uh, to uh, anoint someone who's dying if they have are not of the do not have never had the use of reason because they've never been able to sin in their lives and so there's no need for remission of sin there's no need for increasing sanctifying grace there's no need for um, of any of these things because uh, they're perfectly innocent after their baptism and have never soiled that innocence uh, since then and so uh, it's only if they've attained the, the use of reason. Now, they may have attained the use of reason and then through dementia or insanity or something lost it after the fact, they may be anointed. But if if a person has never attained it, then they couldn't have never have sinned. Uh, and, and so that's the, the minimum requirements for, for that is that they have to be a baptized person that is, um, that is in danger of death and has attained the use of reason, and uh, then, then they are capable of receiving extreme unction. There are times, Father, I imagine you, you pull up to a house, or you show up at the hospital, and you, you see, you, maybe just by the looks of the faces of the people, that um, at least in their estimation, you've shown up. You know, no matter how quickly you tried to get there, mm-hmm. you didn't get there as quickly as perhaps they would have liked for you to get there, mm-hmm. um, and and that uh, you know the doctor is wagging his head outside the door, saying uh, he's he's gone. He just thirty seconds ago breathed his last and died. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens when when you show up 
and the person actually has died some some amount of time before before your arrival. Well, the thing we have to understand is the definition of death and the difference in the definition of death between um, an ecclesiastical sense of definition and a medical sense of, of definition of death. The medical definition of death is when the heart stops and the person is no longer breathing, the heart is no longer beating, the brain is no longer uh, firing, if you will, sending the waves uh, to the rest of the body. So therefore, uh, that is the medical death, uh, the ceasing of the life functions, if you will. However, ecclesiastical definition of death is based around the the, the time of when the soul separates from the body. That is what we truly know to be death. And even medical personnel will, will, will tell you that there are certain signs of life that go on after someone breathes their last breath and beats their last heartbeat and that is you know cells will still continue to 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 regenerate for a short period of time afterwards even uh you know hair might continue to grow in a minute way and uh, things like that Uh, there are still uh, aspects of a little bit of life in that person and so for us we know that the soul is so connected to a body that uh, it doesn't just, it's not an easy departure from it. It does not leave right away. And while we have no absolute certitude as to when that time of departure is, uh, we do know that sometimes it can linger longer than that last breath. And so for us, once someone has stopped Breathing and, and 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 their heart has stopped beating, giving forth the the exterior signs of life, if you will. Then it depends on the type of. Uh, then there's no longer any absolute extreme option given at that point. But we will give it conditionally if they're alive. That's uh, you know that's what we said at the beginning of the anointing is if you're still living, I anoint you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the uh, the. And we can do that for somebody depending on what, what way they died for a certain period of time afterwards. If it's been a long, drawn-out illness, then the soul is more ready to depart, if you will. It's been prepared for that. And so usually we wouldn't do so anything longer than half an hour after the fact. But if it was a sudden death, a young man in the prime of his life that is in a car accident or, uh, or something awful happens to, to him... Um, then, uh, then the soul is not really prepared to leave, and it and it can stay a little longer. And so, uh, from a time frame point of view, somewhere around one to two hours is typically about the, the limit that we'll push it to for for that to give conditional uh, extreme unction. The uh, the only way that we can truly know of someone being dead in the, the truest sense, the soul being separated of the body, is the beginning of the signs of, of, of putrefaction. Then we certainly know the soul is, is left. So as soon as there's any sign of decay, then... Correct, yes. Yeah. So it's, you know, when you see those things which are, are showing uh, the death of, 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 of tissue, then, um, then you know, which, like I said, typically for someone who's cut down in their prime, if you will, is about 
you know, at max usually after two two hours. And a, a kind of rule of thumb for us, depending of course on climate and time of year and things like that, is is seeing if the body's warm. Uh, you know, if it's a if you have a, a room temperature of seventy five degrees or something like that, and you walk up and you touch the body and it still is warm to the touch, then you're more than likely still within that window of time. If it's cold to the touch at a normal room temperature, um, then you're probably outside of that time. And so that's kind of a rule of thumb. Of course, you know, if someone's out in North Dakota in the middle of the winter time and right. it's, you know, in the extreme elements and you show up two minutes after they've died, they're going to be, you know, a frozen block of ice up there. <laughs> but it's, uh, um, but it's at putrefaction that uh, the, the sign of tissue death that we can say absolutely that um, that a soul has, is no longer dwelling within a body, but it's not until then. So if we don't see that, then we can uh, anoint conditionally in, that, in those situations. You show up, Father, let's say you're, whether it's, it's conditional, it's absolute, you have your kit with you. Um, if, if one of us should be with a person who, who might be seriously ill, might be dying, how how would you recommend? I mean, is there a way that we, you know, normally you invite somebody over to to dinner, mm-hmm. uh, you set a table and you know you lay out the silverware and the plates and everything like that. You um, you, know, you might even have candles on the table. It might be flowers. Um, how how does one prepare to receive a priest to give uh, not just extreme unction but um, for the person to receive all of the last rites? Yeah, one thing to know is that the priest does have all the essential things that he needs with him. So, uh, typically, anyways, he's carrying all those things. Now, you might catch him where he's out, and he might, like you said, only have, maybe he has his oils in this, in the ritual with him in the car or something like that, and that's it. Well, you know, then then we, you know, then you have the real bare essentials. But generally speaking, if we're coming from the church, we have a sick call kit, we have the essentials that we need with us. But there are things that a person certainly can and should do as to however much as possible uh, in that way. Um, the number one thing is, is remembering what, what is coming to your house. You know, the sacraments are coming to your house. The, the, the proper place for sacraments is a church. And so you think of a church, you know, your church shouldn't be dirty, it shouldn't be, you know, dusty and, you know, junk everywhere and everything like that. And the same thing for when you're receiving the sacrament to your house, is recognizing that these are the, the truly these wonderful gifts from God, these, these seven sacraments which are coming to you, and when and in the case of when the priest is bringing the blessed sacrament, God himself is coming to uh, to to your house, and so to the best of your ability, there should be your the rooms where the priest will be coming into should be clean to the best of the, 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 our ability. There should be a table there ready to go. It doesn't have to be any kind of special table, but just something that is cleared off, easy access, easy to use. You know, sometimes when we're in nursing homes and things like that, these things are harder to do. You know, to have clear space to have a table and sometimes we have to be kind of you know uh, invent um, <laughs> you kind of uh, crafting our invention of ways to, to, to find something or to do something for, for sacrament in those situations it's kind of par for the course the territory of a, of a nursing home or a hospital like sometimes we have to search out 
the tray table from a neighboring room or something, or uh, sometimes we have to, we have less space than we would really desire to work on, but who we can oftentimes set things up in a way that we know will work. What's the table for? Well, the table is for, for, um, for holding basically all of the things that, um, that the priest needs for the sacraments. Um, so for instance, you know, like one of the couple of things that the people can also get ready is that table can be covered in a white cloth. You know, that's, if you have a white cloth readily available, you should put it on that table, whether it's just simple tablecloth, whatever it is. You know, it's just proper for the table other than a bare bones table. Um, if you have a stand-up, small stand-up crucifix, that can go on the table because we'll have to have a cross there. And um, then, you know, if you have two candlesticks, then those can go on the, on the table as well because we'll use two candlesticks unless, of course, uh, you know, someone's on oxygen or whatever it may be, then we won't light the candles necessarily. But... But these are all things that go on the table in addition to our oils, our, our alcohol swipes or lemon and bread and things like that. Our, uh, the, and if we're bringing Holy Communion, the Blessed Sacrament, and uh, our ritual, and all of these things, you know, cup for water to purify our fingers, the things that we're bringing with us uh, all will kind of rest on the, the table because we only have two hands and one of them is usually holding a ritual and the other one's usually performing some sort of action and so something has to be there that's proper for for the the bearing of all these items you know it's um because those and the table is the best best thing for that um what about the sick person himself the sick person themselves they should uh, you know if depends on what level of sickness they are i mean if they're sick and they're having you over, but they're able to kind of get around and function on the, at their at their home fairly well, then they should be as well put together as as possible. You know, if they're uh, you know, especially you know, like I said, they're receiving sacraments. You show up to church, drop proper, dress properly for the sacraments. You should do the same at your home when the sacraments are coming to you. Now, that being said, a lot of times people are so sick that they can't do that. And then they don't have to worry about that. You know, that's, uh, you know, if they're bedridden in bed, you know, the priest knows, okay, this is, um, this is what the, their situation, and that's fine. We run into plenty of people that are bedridden, um, you know, that, uh, uh, but, you know, one thing that even for, for a bedridden person might not always be possible, and that's always, and it's fine if it's not possible, but if it is possible um, to have their socks removed, if they're going, if they know they're going to remove, to be receiving extreme unction, to have their socks removed. Now, that's, it sounds kind of silly, but uh, it sounds kind of contrary to what our normal uh, ideas of uh, of proper reception of, of clergy would be. We shouldn't we shouldn't carry this into the church when we come from mass. On no, no, you shouldn't. Nor should you carry it over to any just like general reception of company. Period. But uh, but in the case where you know that you are at home and you are receiving extreme unction and you are bedridden and you know might only be able to take off socks with the aid of somebody else then you know the priest is coming and someone's there to help at that time have your socks off already so that way when the priest begins extreme unction he can easily get to your feet to anoint them 
the the ritual talks about the anointing of feet, and the uh, and books on the administration of the sacraments talk about the anointing of feet, where it's it's not a necessity, and for any just reason can be omitted. But at the same time, it's an option for anointing, and so we should uh, we should uh, obtain that anointing whenever possible. Father, forgive me. I, I just I just stole your book, and, and I'm looking at where the feet come in terms of the anointings. It looks like we sort of we work down the body from the ears to the nose to the mouth to the hands to the feet. Um, and I imagine at that point you've got the ritual in your hand. Mm-hmm. You've had a thumb that's been dipped in the oil of the sick. Yes. And it's going to be cumbersome for you to remove socks at that point. It's just a practical. Right. Well, it's virtually impossible if someone is unable to take their own socks off, and the priest is there um, giving the sacrament and there's nobody else to assist them, then, like I said, the ritual talks of the anointing of the feet can be omitted for any uh, any justifying reason. And and that certainly would be one. So sometimes, you know, people will not have their feet anointed. It's not that they've received less of the sacrament in any kind of way. Like I said, the ritual will not make... Uh, would not make exception for that if if there wasn't reason to do so and it's not something that has to be this big dramatic grave reason for it it just has to be something that's a reasonable justifying thing and inability to take their socks off is is, is one of them but uh, but where you can take them off then like i said you know you should and you shouldn't worry about the priest is going to think oh my feet are, are are nasty or my feet stink or something don't worry about that we deal with a lot nastier things than people's feet in our life yes and so uh it's it doesn't bother us in the least it's uh, in fact you know it's a good opportunity to to imitate our lord you know where he washed the feet of his apostles you know and uh and so for us you know we can we can symbolically wash the sins of your feet as well with with the anointing so um so don't worry about the, the the status of your feet uh, as much as um, having them available to us, if possible. Like I said, don't uh, we don't want anybody falling over, hurting themselves even more because they're trying to get their socks off and nobody's around or something to, to, to assist them and they needed help. But um, but if it is uh, something that's that's reasonable and, and easily done, then, uh, then, then try to avail yourself of that. Here's a, just a... Uh a question which if we were receiving calls for the show, I imagine we might get um, somebody uh, somebody loses an arm from an illness or, or is missing an ear or an earlobe. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you mentioned, Father, that you can, you can, uh, you don't have to want the feet for some excusing cause, but you know, what if somebody doesn't have any arms? I mean, yeah. it's, then if someone is missing the, the part that is being anointed, uh, we anoint as close to where that part would be as possible. So if someone is missing a hand, for say, um, then we would anoint the wrist uh, or uh, the elbow, or depending on wherever it was cut off. Uh, if someone's missing an ear, then we would anoint the side of the head, or an eye would anoint you know, the socket or the brow or something. Um, so we would go to as close to that part that is missing as possible, because uh, that's um, that's the best we can do in that situation. So, um. in terms of the environment, Father, I mean, I'm sure you've walked into many a, many a house and many a different type of house, and 
there have probably been some houses that are, are calm and peaceful and some houses where it's just it's chaos, panic, and disorder. Um, we understand what the setup is in terms of the table and what you might be putting on there in terms of preparing the person. What else should we be avoiding here? I mean, to, well, the, how would you want to show up? Yeah. How would you want to show up to my house if, if I needed uh, extreme unction, needed the last rites, and um, that, you were going to be there? The most important thing to go along with that is the, the recognition of a prayerful atmosphere, really, uh, in that way. Uh, too often, really, sadly, uh, unfortunately, we run into a situation where you walk in and uh, the TV's on, and the, or the radio's on, or something strange is, is happening there that's just very profane, not profane in a profanity type of way uh, that we commonly think of, like, you know, curse words or something like that, but profane as in contrary to what you're about to receive, which is sacraments, holy, holy things. And so our atmosphere should be a holy atmosphere as much as we can control. And, you know, there shouldn't be a TV on, there shouldn't be a radio playing, uh, there shouldn't be... So there shouldn't be a TV on the table with the white cloth. If no, be avoided. no, we're we're uh, we're avoiding worshiping two gods at the same time in that way, and uh, so we we really should you know we should have uh, you know pious images there for us to see. We should uh, have a quiet, prayerful atmosphere. Conversations that are around us leading up to it should be ones of preparation and or prayer you know, that we're making a prayerful reception of those, knowing that the priest is coming. Uh, to the best of our ability. Once again, sometimes um, we're more or less able to be, be, be prepared for that. You go to a nursing home and they might be two people in one room and there might be a television on and there might be nothing you can do about it because it belongs to the neighbor in person and, um, and sometimes it's just all you can do is just try to tune it out in your own mind as much as possible. But especially where we have when you're in a situation of your own home, most especially, then, then those things really can go. And, um, and it, it's a good segue, I think, into the idea of just manner at the side of not only one receiving the sacraments, if you're there for someone receiving extreme unction or, blessed, or the Holy Eucharist and a sick call um, in that way, you're more than welcome to be there for those, except, of course, if the person goes to confession, then obviously you have to leave the room for that part of it. People are more than welcome to be there for the for the reception of the sacrament, but they should be encouraged to be kneeling in prayer at those times, uh, praying for the person receiving that, that sacrament, because the, it's obvious that they're in some sort of distress of, of body, at least, and uh, and prayers are needed for them, so you know you should. And the atmosphere has to be prayerful anyway, so you should be in your charity offering prayers for that for that person at that moment. But most importantly is that recognition of uh, the atmosphere, not only for the sacraments, but for a deathbed in general, someone who's in their last agony, because I think it, it is so important to mention the 
what happens on someone's last hour, in someone's last hour, is what we don't see going on around us. What we don't see going on around us every day is this the spiritual battle for souls that that you know the angels are warring. We're, here we are in October, the month of the holy angels, and we, you know we just came through St. Michael's feast day. Today is the feast of the holy guardian angels. We have St. Raphael later on this month. You know the, these 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 wonderful feasts of the angels that are there. They they serve to remind us of that spiritual battle that goes on for our souls. Each one of us has a guardian angel always constantly fighting to help us get one step closer to heaven our whole life long. But the devil never rests in that way either. He's always fighting for our souls as well. And no time more so than in our last throes of life because he knows that's the last chance he gets. Once we breathe forth our last breath, there's no more opportunity for the devil to steal our souls away. So he fights harder then than he ever has. He tries to get us to despair, tries to get us to have bad thoughts, tries to get us to lack charity or to suffer poorly. And you know, oh, so many different ways to, to get us to fall uh, into sin, to have us lose our soul at the last moment. Uh, and while the devil is always fighting so hard, um, the God is certainly obviously and his holy angels are obviously fighting um, you know extra hard for us as well but you have we have to recognize if we are are blessed with the opportunity to be bedside of someone who is in their last agony of, of, of life and before they die what we need to do as an atmosphere for those those people what we need to do for the benefit of their souls we need to create that holy atmosphere around them, recognizing that the devil is warring for that soul. Uh, you know, an example of that is a you know I think you talk to any once again you talk to any priest that's uh, been doing this for even just a little bit of time, and they can have some sort of story to tell you about the the effects of the devil fighting for a soul in the end times of their life. Um, one that comes to my mind in particular was a time that I was in a hospital and I had gone actually to anoint somebody else and I was called and asked to come to uh, the bedside of uh, of an individual um, the, the, the family members had just happened to see me in the foyer and they knew that their their uh, I believe it was their mother was given uh, less than two weeks to live. Just that day, they got the news that she was going to die um, very, very soon. You know, and so they they saw me in the, the the foyer and they asked if I could come and talk to her. They said she was Catholic and that uh, and that they would like to have her get to the last sacraments. And so I said, well, you know. Um, I told him what I did, that there was a traditional priest offering the traditional sacraments and that I'd gladly come and talk to her and see um, what her state was and if we, you know, perhaps couldn't work towards that. And uh, and so I did, uh, and I went there and was unable to get into the room because there before me, this this old woman who had, during her life, by all accounts of her family, been raised as a Catholic... Um, was in the strongest of ways screaming and, and swearing and telling me to get out of the room 
um, do not let him come near me, do not let him approach. And she was um, completely uh, inconsolable in that way. She was absolutely adamant, and no matter how much pleading from the family or, you know, attempts by myself to approach only made her more and more upset. And it's a very hard thing for a priest to watch to see the wrong side winning in that that battle for for a soul and to feel that there's nothing beyond prayer that you can do in that moment that there's no words that you can offer to them there's no um there's no uh, right that you can perform other than to walk away with with beads in hand and and just pray with all earnestness for for them to change their hearts before they do die um it's a very, very sad and, and, and helpless feeling almost. But, uh, I mean, we do know the power of prayer, so it's not totally helpless. But it's a, it's a very, very sad feeling, and it's a good reminder for us as priests and for anybody who's listening that uh, that, that battle is very real uh, for a soul. And, and those people who might seem um, relatively receptive to religion in their life, um, if they let the devil take hold, then they can fall and the most important time of their life and we can't forget that and so for our part we have to really recognize that when we are around someone who is in their last days and hours that we have to maintain that spiritual atmosphere for them you know don't turn on the tv football is not going to get them to heaven soap operas are not going to get them to heaven to leave the tv if they can even take it out of the room and that's the best thing you know leave worldly entertainment aside be there spending time with them in their last days having holy conversations have, saying a plenitude of prayers encouraging them to to think of the things of god encouraging them to be sorry for sin to be to be trusting in in our lord's mercy to be to all these things constantly focusing them on that end goal of heaven and to give them that atmosphere because that's what they need that's how they're going to be able to be if they are are receiving sacraments to be able to receive sacraments well and if they are um if they are just simply approaching that those moments of death to be um to be well disposed with their mind and their soul and their body all linked together as one and firm commitment to towards the love of God and the salvation of their souls, winning that battle against the devil when he's roaring the loudest. Father, let me thank you for your time this afternoon. Ladies and gentlemen, before we sign off here, just consider saying even just a brief prayer for people who you may not even know who are sick or dying. It's beneficial for those people, and we know that um, it's even possible for, for those people to, to intercede for us when we pray for their souls after they die. Um, if you have any questions, please feel free to be in touch with me or with Father. You've been listening to Pastor Alia on the Restoration Radio Network. My name is Joshua Guncha. I'm with Father Stephen McKinnon for both of us. For the Restoration, God bless you.
This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.